How are we doing, church? Thank you so much for taking time to connect with us today. Good morning to all of you. Um, the majority of our Crescent campus is here on site with us today. So if you're back um, watching in Creston, good morning to you. Hello to everybody at St. Greg's. And if you're sitting in the third service, you're watching this on video as well. Um, we had some flight changes, um, and so I had to move some things around. And so same message for you that's been all morning long. Hope you enjoy it. Um, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. First Kings 18 is where we're going to start today. Um, let me set today up like this. We're in this this series called A Simple Choice, and and often in life we have we have lots of choices um, on what we're going to look at, what we're not going to look at, what we're going to do, what we're not going to do. And social media is one of those things where you got to kind of make a choice: are you going to say something, or are you going to just like leave it go? Um, it's just one of those one of those crazy things um, that I guess I battle with. Maybe maybe you don't, but I have a friend last week, and he posted a picture of being in Costa Rica. And he was sending out all this stuff about how the weather was and how great it was. And I just wanted to like type in there, like, you suck. Um, because it was like icy here. It was cold. It was awful. Like, like that, that picture, um, that's not actually his picture because I didn't get permission to use it. That's just one I grabbed off the internet. Um, but, but his pictures were amazing. Like they were just beautiful. I've never been there. Anybody ever been to Costa Rica? Um, and so because I've never been there, it got me thinking, like, I don't want to see that. I want to be there. And anybody else? Like, uh, that, that's where I want to be, right? I, I don't want to just look at it. Isn't that the way that it is when we see things on social media? You post a picture of your food, like a really, really, really good steak dinner, like, like that right there. Like, that would be phenomenal, right? Which, by the way, let me say this just to everybody who's here, everybody who's watching. If you're a vegan... Stop posting pictures of your vegan barbecue. There is no such thing as a vegan barbecue. If it's not a dead pig or a dead cow, it's not barbecue, right? You bought cantaloupe for like $1.75 at Hy-Vee. You chopped it up and you're like, it tastes just like barbecue. No, it doesn't. It tastes like cantaloupe. It's not barbecue. So stop posting pictures of vegan barbecues. Nobody wants to come. Anyway, that probably um, is not anything to do with the message. Um, people post pictures of their food or their vacations or whatever. And, and when you see it, you appreciate it. But, but sometimes I just want to be there. Like I want to be in Costa Rica. I want to be at that steak dinner right there. I want to experience that. Well, the same exact thing happens when it comes to people. Have you ever seen somebody, especially in the church world, have you ever seen somebody where like God is doing such a work in their life that is absolutely undeniable? You ever seen that? I've seen it too. Like, have you ever seen somebody like God is working in their life and, and, and you're just like, man, I would, I would love to have that in my life. I would love for what's going on with them to be happening for me. Or like you see somebody go through something really bad and, and they've got this peace and you're just like, how do you? How do you do that? Like, I'm stressed out for you. How do you have such, like, happiness and, 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 and joy? And, and you're like, like, how, how can, how can I get that as well? They have this energy. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not talking about being fake. I'm talking about you can really tell in their life that God is involved, that Jesus is the center of their life. And, and I see that. And so often I'm like, man, I, I want that. I need that. Like, that's where I want to be. I want to have that experience. Like, that, that's what I want to zero in on. And then there's this other thing where, like, when I'm reading the Bible and I read the miracles, like, like those, are, those are great. 
But wouldn't you like to have been there? Wouldn't you like to like have experienced that? Wouldn't you like to, to see one? Like, like, wouldn't you love to be there when Jesus brought somebody back from the dead? That would be pretty cool, yes or no? That, that would have been, that would have been like legit awesome to see. And sometimes I read those miracles and I say, man, I, I would, I would love to have been there. I would love to see God do that same exact thing today. And then, and then several years ago, this hit me and this has been something I've really been trying to, um, focus in on. I've been trying to live. I, I've been trying to teach. It's, it's Hebrews 13, 8 that says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so what that means is if he did that then, he can do it again, right? How many of you believe that today? That if he did it then, he can do it today. I believe that with all of my heart. Listen, here's the good news. God wants to do an incredible work in you and through you. And so the question I have for all of you today, actually I have a few questions today, but the first question is, would you like to see Jesus do a work in your life that only Jesus could get the credit for? Like, would you like him to do something that is so powerful, so out of the box that it changes you, not only you, but everybody around you? Would you like to see Jesus do a miracle in your life, yes or no? Yes, we're all going to answer yes to that. And so, if you answered yes to that, then the question you have to answer, if you want to see Jesus do a work in your life, it's real simple. You have to ask yourself, you have to answer this question, I guess, am I available? That's it. Am I available? Notice, I didn't say, am I able? Because that's funny, that Jesus is looking for your ability, right? What in the world could we do to impress Jesus? Seriously, look, Jesus, I painted a picture. <laughs> Shut up, dude, I painted a sunset, <laughs> right? Like there's, there's nothing we can do to impress Jesus. And so the question that needs to be answered today is, am I available? Not am I able, am I available? And do I want to grow? Do I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, I've said this for years, but it's worth repeating here again. And um I didn't come up with this. Somebody else did. And so I've totally ripped it off. I think, I think Mike even said this a couple of weeks ago in his message. But it's this. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And so if he has called you to do something, he will equip you to do that thing. He's not looking. Listen to me. He's not looking for a bunch of people who jump around and say, oh, look at me. I am able. Because at the end of the day, that's kind of arrogant. It really is. He's looking for people that go, hey, you know what, God? Um, these are your hands. Like, take them, God, and teach me to serve as you please. God, I'm available. Because if we're available as individuals and as a church, God really is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, and we will grow in our relationship with him. And so today I want to talk to you about if God tapped you on the shoulder today and said, I want to do something in you and through you. Are you available for that? Are you available? Are you? I want to teach you this through the story as we continue, as we continue the story of Elijah. First Kings 18. Elijah's facing down the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah. We've gotten to the point in the story where Elijah and all these prophets are about to face off. And we pick it up. It's right here, verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, all the prophets, and Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. Now, that wasn't entirely true. Listen, I'm not saying the Bible's not true. I'm saying that statement 
wasn't entirely true. And, and, and I don't believe that Elijah is necessarily being deceptive on purpose. I believe he thought it was true, but it wasn't true. In fact, in 1 Kings 19, the very next chapter, he tells God the same exact thing. Like, like have, you ever, have you ever had a pity party? Don't raise your hand. I have. I, I have. But that's what Elijah is doing right here with God, having a pity party. He told God, I'm the only prophet that's left. Like that, that's what he's saying. Cause, cause that's what happens when we start thinking that we're like, like we're, we're all by ourselves, right? We're, we're all alone. We're surrounded by these great enemies. All this pressure, all of these things are happening in our life. We feel like life is falling apart. I'm the only person that's ever wrestled with this. I'm the only person that's ever had this thought. I'm the only person that's ever had this addiction. I'm the only person that's ever had this anxiety. I'm the only person that's ever had this depression. We start telling ourselves that, and and then we won't talk about it because we think if other people know what we're dealing with or or what we're wrestling with, they'll think we're crazy. And so Elijah pulls that card right here. And in, in 1 Kings 19, he starts pulling this stuff on God again. And God says, actually... I got 7,000 people that have about a need of bail. So you think you're the only one? Um, you're not the only one. I actually got 7,000. And the reason I bring that up is to say, you're not the only one who is wrestling with what you're wrestling with. You're not the only one who has had those thoughts. You're not the only one who has fought those battles. And I don't say that to minimize what you're going through. I say that to let you know, this is a place where you can show up and you don't have to feel like I'm the only one who's jacked up and messed up. There is nobody in this room other than jacked up, messed up people who I'm hoping understand by the end of the day that God will use us if we're available. So he says, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Again, you're not the only one. You're not. You're not the only one that's crossed the line. You're not the only one who has gone too far. You're not the only one who feels like you're disqualified. You are not the only one. But Elijah says it. I'm the only one. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish. Cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of the altar, but without setting fire to it. So he's telling them, don't set fire to it. Don't. Anything of fire, just put all this together. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Verse 24. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. Now, I have to point this out because the symbolism here is powerful. I've told you before, when Baal, anytime Baal was depicted in ancient literature, if you see a picture of them, the majority of the time he's holding a lightning bolt. And so if there's a God that can start a fire, it's the God holding a lightning bolt, yes or no? Yeah, like, like if I come to your, your cookout, like your meat cookout, not your vegan cookout, right? If I come to your cookout and you're trying to light your grill and, and there's a friend of yours holding a lightning bolt, I'm like, that's the guy right there going to start the grill. Like that, I mean, it, it just is. You're holding a lightning bolt. If you're holding an ice cube, you're not going to start the grill. But holding a lightning bolt, my money's on that guy, yes or no? And, and so Elijah, he's just like, he's like setting this whole thing up. He's like, hey, your guy's so powerful. I mean, dude's holding a lightning bolt. And so like, you know, I don't know, maybe he could just start the fire. And they're all leaning in and they're like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, Baal's going to come through. Baal's going to burn this up. And, and then he says, hey, whichever one starts the fire, he is God. And, and, then, and then watch what this next part says. All the people 
agree. This is powerful. This is, this is awesome. Watch this. Then Elijah, verse 25, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God. But do not set fire to the wood. He, he's like super adamant about that. You don't do it. We're going to let God do it. We're going to see what happens here. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until new time, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. Now, what I want to point out in this passage right here is that from morning until noon, they danced and they hobbled and they shouted. But there was what? No reply. No reply of any kind. I started thinking that's what the worshipers of Baal did, but Christians do that too. I mean, we're not worshiping Baal, but we worship our activity list. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you become a Christian, everybody gives you a to-do list. I'm a Christian. Now what do I need to do? You need to read your Bible. Okay. Um, I read my Bible for 10 minutes. No, you need to read it for 30. What? Um, okay, reading it for 30. Um, wh- what do I do next? You need to pray. All right, I'm praying. How long are you praying for? I don't know, like 15 minutes. That's not long enough. You need to pray longer. And then, and then you need to be journaling. Okay, journaling? What's that? That's where you take all of your most personal, intimate thoughts and you write them down in a notebook. <laughs> That's the scariest thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm not doing that. Now, what do I do? Now you need to only listen to Christian music and only go to movies about Jesus, even when they're cheesy and when they're bad. L- l- listen, I fell for that. When I first became a Christian, I got very involved, very active. I was really active for God. Just like in this text right here, the people were really active. But the thing I want you to understand today, and I know I say this a lot, but it's worth repeating. Activity does not equal availability. Activity doesn't equal availability. Like when we get wrapped up in Christian activities, I, 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 know, I know a lot of people, you get so active. I was one of those people for so long. I was so active that I wasn't open to what God wanted me to do. And because of my activity, I thought God owed me. God, I'm doing so much for you. Now you need to do this for me. Like, I was, seriously, I was like making those deals with God. I was so active for God, I thought he actually needed to be available for me. So, hey, God, I'm glad you're the creator of the universe, dude, but right now you're my butler. You give me what I want, when I want it, because God, you owe me. God, look at all the time I spend in the Bible. God, look at all these things that I'm doing. I'm praying. Look at all the the, the things I'm writing down in my stupid journal. God, look at all this stuff I'm doing for you, God. And, And listen to me. Activity does not equal availability. Don't miss that. It it just doesn't. Listen, we can get caught up in activity, but it doesn't it doesn't equal intimacy. Like like our relationship with Jesus isn't built on our activity, it's built on our intimacy, it's built on our connection. And the way we become connected is through being available every single day. Does that, does that make sense? See, what would happen every single day this week if as soon as we woke up, the thir- first thought that we had is, God, today I'm yours. God, do whatever you want. God, these hands are your hands. God, 
Teach me how to serve you. I'm telling you, it will change the perspective on the way you view, view people and the way you view yourself. I, I, know, I know people who are active, but they don't have a connect, connection with Jesus. And you might ask, how can you tell? It's very simple. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Like it has nothing to do with all of the things you're doing. And so people in this text, they're really active. And Elijah starts messing with them. Elijah is like, hey, Guess you're going to have to shout louder. Guess you got to pump up the volume. Hey, hey, let's bring out the decibel meter. You guys got to really pump this thing up. Verse 27, watch this. Around noontime, Elijah started mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a God. Perhaps he is daydreaming or relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. He's scoffing. He's saying, hey, you're putting all your worship and your energy into this? You're putting all of everything that you've got into this guy? Like he's probably asleep, or he's in the bathroom, or he's away on vacation. You're doing all of this stuff for him? How's that going for you? It isn't working. And, and, and listen, let me just ask this. Those of you who are putting all of your faith and all your activity into something, how's that working for you? Those of you who put your hopes and your dreams in the Republican or the Democrat party, how's that working? For those of you who put all your hope in a football team, how'd that go for you? Because see, eventually, all of those things, just like right here, they're going to let you down. They're not going to come through for you. Everything in the world, no matter how much we shout, no matter how much we sing, no matter how much we dance, it's not going to come through. It's going to disappoint us. It's going to let us down. And Elijah said, hey, <laughs> how's that going for you? Huh? How's it going? Hey, guys. How's that working out? Now, here's what religion does. The mantra of religion is do more, try harder. Do more, try harder. That's insanity, isn't it? Something isn't working, just do more of that. Just keep doing, keep doing that. Just keep doing it. Eventually it'll work. That's insanity. And so instead of having a conversation and saying, all right, guys, you've been doing all this dancing and hobbling around the bull thing. God's got a lightning bolt, hasn't thrown a lightning bolt, not working, right? Like, it's not working. Maybe you should think through something else. They keep going. Instead of them, like, they just keep going. Watch this, verse 28. So they shouted louder. And following their normal custom, they cut themselves. And by the way, cutting's been around for thousands of years. A lot of people like to say, like, it's, it's a newer thing. With teen, uh-uh. It's been around for thousands of years. Now, I would say... I appreciate different styles of worship. I've been in, I've been in lots of different churches. Um, I've enjoyed many different worship experiences. But the minute you pull out the knife and say, oh, this is the part of the service where we cut ourselves, <laughs> I'm out. Right? I'm like, you know what? I- I'm good. <laughs> they might say, you'll go to hell. <laughs> I'll drive the bus. Like, I- I'm not cutting myself, right? I'm, I'm not. Like, that's weird. But don't miss this. Religion always tells you you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. Religion will tell you things, stupid things. Like, oh, you know, the reason so-and-so died in your family is because you didn't have enough faith. You ever heard that? The reason this happened is because you didn't have enough faith. If you had just danced harder, shouted louder, maybe even cut yourself, sacrificed something, you would have experienced the miracle. But because you didn't do that, you experienced the pain. Religion always says, do more, try harder. Do more, try harder. 
Do more, try harder. Because right now you're not doing enough. And some people in this room, you've been on that stupid treadmill. And it didn't work, did it? Didn't work for you, didn't work for me, doesn't work for them. Because it doesn't ever work for anybody. Like they're cutting themselves. Cut themselves with knives and sword. Watch this. With knives and swords until the blood gushed out. What? This isn't in the kids' Bible, is it? This, yeah. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Activity does not equal intimacy. It does not equal a connection. And without connection, we don't move in God's direction. Without connection, we don't see what he can do. And so at some point, you've got to say, do more, try harder, all this stuff that I'm trying to do without God, it's not working. Elijah, he gave them some time. And then verse 30, then Elijah called to the people, come over here. And, and all of them are like, all right, I mean, I guess that, that didn't work. Brought the swords, no lightning, no nothing. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar the Lord had been... Uh, uh, They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Now, let me explain something here that that, that I think is huge. Elijah was a prophet, and, and he was gifted. I mean, he was. Dude had the ability, you'll see this, he had the ability to call down fire from heaven. Now, I've met... I've met some gifted people in my life. I've met some gifted singers, some gifted musicians, some gifted preachers. I mean, we all know gifted people. I've never, ever, ever in my life met anybody that was gifted at calling down fire from heaven. Because if there's a person like that, I'd take them with me every time I drove to Des Moines. But wouldn't you? I'd be like, get that one. Get that one. Just people's cars, not people in them. I don't want to kill people. But you you know what I'm talking about? Can, Can we all agree if you can call down fire from heaven that you're gifted, yes or no? Yes. All right. Here's what I want you to notice. This is so powerful. Elijah is gifted, but he didn't walk up on the scene and say, hey, people, I want you to know I'm gifted and I can call down fire from heaven. Like if you're gifted, you don't have to tell people. Like they just figure it out. What Elijah did is he made himself available. And even though he was gifted and he could call down fire from heaven, he walks up on the scene. He says, all right, we need to see God move. These people need to see God move. They've destroyed the altar. Fire needs to fall on the altar. The altar needs to be repaired. I will repair the altar. And don't miss this. The gifted man, it could have blown all of them up. Could have just, boom, hey, God, do this right here, right now. The gifted man took his hands and he took a rock and he put it down on the ground and he took another rock and he put it on top of that rock and then he took another rock and he put it on top of those rocks. He took another rock and he just put it on top of those. He's sweating a little bit. He he was working through this. He was available to do what needed to be done. That's what being available means. God, whatever you need, whatever you need done, God, I'm available. Then watch this, because this gets even crazier. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about 
three gallons. Dug a trench. Dug a trench. You, you ever had to dig something up in your yard? Ever dig something? Ever had to dig You sweating? Takes work, doesn't it? A few, few years ago, um, our, our dog was getting ready to die. Her name was Trinity. And we had this dog. She was alive. She was 14 years old. And we knew we were going to put her down. We called and made an arrangement for the vet to come the next day. And I went out in my backyard. I, this, we hadn't lived here very long. I didn't know you weren't supposed to bury your pets in your backyard. Um, but I went out. I just started digging this hole. And I'm crying. And I'm all upset. And I'm digging. And I'm digging. And I'm digging. And my kids had to bring a ladder to get me out of the hole. It's, it's, it's hard, right? I mean, you're working up, working up the sweat. It's crazy. And so here's this gifted man. He's out. He, he's building an altar. He's digging a trench. He's available to do whatever it takes. He's preparing the place. Don't miss this. He's preparing the place where God is going to do an undeniable work. Now, the reason I bring that up is very simple. It's just to say thank you. Thank you to every single person in this room, every single person watching that volunteers your time here at Central Church. You think you're just volunteering, but you're not. We don't have just volunteers here at this place. What you're doing is you're setting up stones and you're digging trenches so that when the fire falls, this place is ready. God is using you to prepare a place where miracles are not only happening, but they're going to continue to happen. And we're going to see them, and our kids are going to get to see them, and our grandkids are going to get to see them and be a part of them simply because you have made yourself available. See, Central Church is not a me thing. It's a we thing. We are in this thing together. And as we make ourselves available over and over and over and over again to prepare a place where fire can fall, I believe we're going to see God move over the next year, two years, five years, and ten years. And he's going to do things that are literally going to continue to blow our minds simply because people are willing to show up and say, God, these hands are yours. These hands are yours. Teach them to serve as you please. And so to those of you who volunteer each and every week, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We couldn't do it without you. And for those of you who know that volunteering is your next step, when you came in, you got this piece of paper right here. Fill it out right now. Fill it out. Fill it out. Don't, don't even wait. Don't look and don't ask your neighbor what they're going to write down or what they're going to do. You take it and you fill it out. Do it right now. You think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. You do it right now. Make yourself available. Make yourself available and then watch what God will do in your life. Watch what God does in your life. And watch what God does in this church and in the lives of people around you and in this community. Make yourself available. Do it. Because th- this, is, this is what's crazy. As he prepared the altar, he digs up this trench. And then it says he piled wood on the altar. Again, making himself available. Piled wood on the altar and cut the bull into pieces. Hopefully Tom Bordenero taught him how to cut it right. Um, and, and lay the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. 
After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they had finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Now, this is huge. There's so much inside of this. First of all, if you're going to start a fire, what's the last thing you want to do to the wood and the meat? Get it wet, right? Like, you don't want that to happen at all. But even bigger than that is the whole water thing. All right, and I want to talk about this because they're on... Mount Carmel, right? That, that's where they're at. It hadn't rained in how long? We're still in the same story. How long had it not rained for? Three years. Where'd the water come from? Where'd the water come from? Now, there's a lot of speculation to this, and so I want to go through a couple of different scenarios. They're on top of the mountain, and from on top of the mountain, you can see the Mediterranean Sea. That's true. You can see that today. If you go up on Mount Carmel, still exists today, right? You can go up there. You can see the Mediterranean Sea. However, it's like a day's journey to the Mediterranean Sea and a day's journey back. So just because you can see it doesn't mean you can get to it. Yes or no? Because I saw the moon this week, but I ain't been able to get to it. Right? Like we follow along, we're on the same page? All right. So it probably didn't come from there. Some people said they dug a well. Well, there's no archaeological evidence that there was ever a well on Mount Carmel. And again, if it hadn't rained... For three and a half years, right? If there had been a three and a half year drought, the well probably most likely is going to be dry. Yes or no? So the majority of scholars believe that the water came from the people who were there. See, in the Middle East, even today, people carry water with them everywhere they go. Everyone takes water. Water is precious. Water is valuable. And so think about this. Can you imagine how precious and valuable water would have been 3,000 years ago in the middle of the desert, in the middle of a three and a half year drought. These people, some of them, it might have been the only water they had left and they bring their water and they pour it out. Elijah is basically saying, hey, you believe in Baal. How's that working out for you? It's not working, is it? What do you need from God right now? You need God to move. This is him asking, what do you need from God? Rain? Well, why don't you go ahead and pour out the water that you have first onto the altar and see what God does. And all these people who have been in the middle of a three and a half year drought, group one poured their water. And then group two poured their water. And then group three poured their water. They gave what was valuable to them in order to prepare the place for the fire to fall. Now, the reason I say that is to simply say thank you to every single person in this room, every single person watching right now that you've given to Central Church. You've given of your time, you've given of your talent, and you've given generously of your treasures. This is you putting water on the altar because we've seen God move in this place, yes or no? And it's not because of Ryan's preaching. It's not. It's because of a group of people who are willing to get together and use their hands to build an altar and dig a trench and give our water and prepare a place and make it available for the fire to fall. So thank you for giving because because you've given, we're going to see miracles that are absolutely going to blow our minds. We're going to continue to see that happening here. Listen, if you read the rest of the story, you know this. They, they get their water back. 
because you cannot give God, right? I mean, they get, they get their water. They poured a glass of water, and a flood came. Kind of cool, isn't it? God, I'm going to give you a little bit of water. Just flooded the whole thing. It's awesome. Verse 36. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Now, now, now don't miss this. He prayed, and, and it's not a long prayer, right? I mean, I just read that in like 30 seconds, right? It's, it's, it's not a long prayer. He prayed but before he prayed, he did what? Anybody, anybody want to guess? He prepared, right? He prayed, but before he prayed, he prepared. See, a lot of people are willing to pray for things, but we're not willing to participate in them. See, he didn't show up at the, the busted altar and just go, oh God, God, I love you. You are so amazing. I'm going to sing to you. Build this altar in the name of Jesus. Because it wouldn't have happened. Like, I, I know people who are praying for things that they're not willing to get involved in. God, God, I want you, I want my coworkers to know about you. Have you told your coworkers about Jesus? Oh, no, I, I could never do that. And, 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 so, and so don't miss this. He wasn't just willing to pray. Because prayer is important. I'm not, I'm not discounting prayer. But before he prayed, he prepared. He got everything set up, and while these fools have been going on all day long, making a ruckus, cutting themselves and all this stuff, Elijah walks up after he had prepared, prays for like 30 seconds, and the Bible says in verse 38, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stone, burned up the stones, like this is a hot fire. Burned up the stones and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. God's like, I'll just pick that up too. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. <laughs> Duh. The fire fell because one man made himself available. Now, if God did that through one man, what could he do through all of us? What can he do? If God did that through one man, what can he do through all of us? And, and, and just so you know, I'm going to talk about this in um, two weeks. The fire falling wasn't the miracle. Because if there had been a three and a half year drought, what's the last thing you want falling from heaven? Fire, right? Remember a couple of years ago at Christmas, we had the fireworks show after the last service. I don't know if, you're, if you're, many of you know this or not. But after the last service, we did a fireworks show. And it was Awesome. We did it to music and um, it had been really dry. And after everybody left, um, the grass out there all caught on fire and we had to call the fire department. It is crazy. Like you don't want it dry when you have a fire, right? And so the miracle, the last thing they needed was fire. They didn't need fire. They needed what? They needed rain. Don't, don't miss that. We'll talk about that in two weeks. It's going to be great. But they needed rain. But what I want you to get today what I want you to walk out with is, is the fire fell because things were prepared. Now, I know what you're thinking because I thought this for years. All right, Ryan, that's great. That's awesome. But Elijah is a Bible person. And Bible people are special people. I'm not, a, I'm not a special person, Ryan. And so I'm glad that God did something powerful through Elijah, but he could never do anything through me. I'm so glad. If you had that thought today, 
like, I, I just want to show you this, because James, the brother of Jesus, tells us about Elijah. In chapter 5, verse 17, it says this, Elijah was as human as we are. You know what that means? That means Elijah dealt with doubt and fear and depression and struggles and sin issues, just like we do. What set him apart? He was available. That's it. That's it. He was available. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Let me end like this. There are some people here today, you're like, well, you know what? That's great for Elijah. But Pastor Ryan, I'm broken and I'm messy. And if that's you, you need to know, so is everybody else on your row. So is everybody else in this room today, broken and messy. I'm so thankful that we have a church where you don't have to pretend that you're not broken and messy. Because that's all we have in this room, broken and messy people. And so if you're here and you're thinking, well, that's great for Elijah, but God could never, ever do anything through me. I would be available, Ryan, but I'm broken and messy. The last thing I want you to understand today is this. God only uses broken and messy people because broken and messy people is all there are. God uses broken and messy people who are available. And so my question today is this. It's not, are you able to do something? I don't care if you're able to do it or not. It's, are you available? Could you literally say, God, these hands are yours. Teach me to serve as you please. God, I'm, I'm available. I'm 100% available to you. Because if you're available, he really will do immeasurably more in you and through you than you could ever possibly ask or imagine. And he will grow you in ways you never thought possible.